You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. Nancy Fitzgerald of Anchors Away Worldview Ministries. That's right. Next is right now. Nancy is joining us, which, by the way, uh, before we even get started, and we'll give you this information again at the end of our biblical worldview question of the week, but would love for you to get connected with Anchors Away, Nancy's biblical worldview ministry. A couple of ways you can do that. You can go to anchorsaway.org. Yes. You can click on the resources tab at kellyandsteve.org and learn more about the ministry, how to get your young people plugged in, your high school students, your early college age students, so that they can understand how to better understand their own faith, how to defend their faith, because when they age out of their youth groups at church and they go on to college, we don't want them to fall away from their faith, and their faith Mm -hmm. is going to be challenged even if they go to a Christian college, because they're going to encounter other kids who might be struggling with their own faith, and those thoughts are going to get into their heads. They need to be able to understand their faith well, to defend their faith well, and uh, be equipped for the world that they're about to walk into. So let's get them plugged in. Nancy's here to lead us into a question today about what it means to be good. Nancy, good morning. What does it mean to be good? Well, good morning, Steve, and good morning, Kelly, and happy Valentine's Day to you both. Oh, um, you too. Yeah, I know. It's a good day, so to speak, to lead into our question. But, you know, I I think about this idea of being good or good enough. And it, it, it just follows. So the path of all these questions that we do uh, every week, Um, this idea of being able to please God on our own, that life somehow we can manipulate it to work without having uh, to involve God and and His rules or whatever we think is is we have better than He does, but but again again all these religions out there is it is a performance it is performing for God, and I think this question just ties right into it. Um, uh, what really does it mean to be to be good? And I wish I as as a parent had. A penny every time that I strongly encouraged my children to be good, and by that I expected them to, you know, follow my instructions or instructions of whomever with whom they were they were with, but to be helpful and kind and you know ask permission for stuff. But um, and that sounds like a normal request uh, for all of us as parents. We just expect kids to obey and if they do I would say they are good kids but you know when I apply this definition of good to God's definition of of good um, I I can say that it is shockingly not what we think you know this idea of of being kind and nice is what he wants us to be clearly Uh, but that is that that is not what God expects us to wander off and try to be kind and good by ourselves. You know, there has never been, or will they ever be anybody outside of Jesus who's good? And we, we shouldn't be discouraged by this, but challenged by it for sure. Because we as humans are fundamentally, uh, and I say this for my own life and my own kids, fundamentally incapable of doing what is good. 
Only God can be and do good. So let's get that straight. Jesus is fully God as the triunity of three persons, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and he is always obedient to his Father. We see that in his life. My Only my Father knows, or, or praying to his Father. You see this beautiful coming together of the triunity of God by the way Jesus lived. You know, he showed love and he showed mercy uh, by the way he loved, by the way he talked with people, by the way he reached out to people, by the way he healed. And and I think we need to go back when we see this idea of good. When God created the world and everything in it, he declared that it was good. And that means perfect. So as he originally created the universe, it was good. And on the sixth day, he created humanity in his image and proclaimed it very good. How could he proclaim man and woman very good? It's because that was the condition from which humanity started. We, man was made to live forever in fellowship with God. And then they decided they would go their own way. And this idea of being good was forever gone. Um, it, it, is, it is amazing, even to the point in Matthew where we say, he says, and he said to them, why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life and keep the commandments, you know, this idea of being like me, there's a possibility of good, but by yourself, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is no way to perform enough so God would look at you and say that is a good person. Uh, it, it is it is a good wake-up call for us to realize that, you know what, it, it doesn't, we can't make our own rules for what we think is good. Well, that's why we have to be so careful about being good enough, thinking that we are yes. good enough, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. And and I've noticed through the years that God's not the least bit impressed with our performance, especially mine. You know, when we do something good, just for goodness sakes, you know, um, such admirable intentions are not how God would define good. He desi- defines good um, from his nature and from his vantage point. Uh, in all things, and this is kind of the key to this question, in all things, God is good, whether we understand or agree with what he is doing or not. So so when stuff happens to us, um, uh, generally, we, we like to voice our opinion as to whether or not God is doing the right thing in our life. You know, God, why did you allow this to happen? Rather than, God, teach me through this, draw me closer to you. Um, you know, he wants us to be drawn to him rather than away from him. And the, but our obedience to him brings him great joy. And, you know, I, I think perhaps being good is allowing the Holy Spirit uh, that lives in all believers to control our lives, which frees us up then to follow him faithfully. You know, and no doubt God looks on our heart. That is just basic uh, uh, to all of of us, and that's our relationship with God. He looks on the heart. And throughout Scripture, God continually, clearly defines 
uh, what he requires us to be good. And the moment we separate ourselves from the walk of God, uh, uh, we are in trouble because we were created in his image to have a relationship with him. And when we turn from that, um, it, it is it is not good. It's not healthy spiritually or really physically for us. It's interesting in Micah 6, 7, and 8. The Lord will be pleased, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And you know, there there it is. It's 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 so unlike us to want to live under the authority of someone, but when it's God, it's it's the answer to life. It's the answer to peace. It's the answer to the joy that we're all looking to. And then we see in the New Testament, John 15, 7 through 11, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This whole idea of abiding in God, he's saying, do this and you will be joyful with me. It's not the doldrums to be walking with God. It's the most exciting walk that we could ever take on this planet. Well, Nancy, let's talk about suffering for a minute, because I know we don't look at suffering as something, you know, you you just said that could be the most exciting thing that we do on this planet, and suffering's not exciting, but um, it's also not something that we look at or equate with as being good, but it can be a good thing in our lives. Talk about that. Yeah, and I think I think suffering is a, a result of the fall, but um, and God uses uses all things, even those things He hates, which is evil. But He can He can use all things, and also He allows suffering for for His own good, for our own good. You know, when things happen to us that bring about personal suffering, our human response is awful. Also thinking, often thinking that something terrible is happening to us, and we go begging God to take it away. Uh, and I'm one of those people. But again, from the human perspective, pain always seems bad to us. But from God's perspective, pain can and will increase our faith if we draw close to him during this time. And we see this when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
again, this idea of choosing not to go with our our emotions when bad stuff happens, but to go directly to God, you know, and that that's the key to, to this whole thing, I think. Well, Nancy, there is uh, in in the Old Testament a really, truly powerful story of personal suffering that brings about the greater good for something larger than the individual who suffered. Summarize for us the story of Joseph. Yeah, you know, it's 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 such a great story on so many levels from family strife and jealousy right down to, you know, uh, yeah, what what happens in, in life. But in Genesis, the story uh, of Joseph when he was uh, attacked by his brothers is truly a beautiful picture for us, if we can get the storyline from this that God wants us to get, of trusting God in the middle of personal suffering. You know, even when evil is involved, his brothers threw him into a pit, and then they took him out and sold him to some Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, bought him, and Joseph served under Potiphar in his home until he was falsely accused of violating Potiphar's wife, where he was then thrown in a dark, musty prison cell uh, you know, there he was, but this is the thing, and this is our message here. He was not alone. Listen to the scripture here. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There it is. And he showed him kindness, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And Joseph did not understand it, but he knew that God did. And that's kept him alive. That's what kept him going. He had suffered not only physically, but emotionally as well. He was separated from his father, whom he dearly loved, and his family. And, and again, Joseph, Joseph was not good. He wasn't perfect. But through suffering, he learned patience and obedience and humility. What a lesson for us. And from God's perspective, after going through all this stuff that he didn't quote unquote deserve, God had worked in him and prepared him to rescue an entire starving nation who were about to die from a famine. And you know, uh, the beautiful story of God or of God working in Joseph to the point where he could forgive his brothers from betraying him. And he says this in Genesis 45, listen to this. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, when he revealed who he was to his brothers, whom you sold out of Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant, uh, remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then we see in Genesis uh, fifty twenty when he said, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish 
what he is now done, saving many lives. Awesome. And that's the crescendo of, of all of this. We are wrapping up our biblical worldview question of the week. What does it mean to be good? And Nancy, you're saving the best for last. Yes, there is an ultimate story about the good that comes from the deepest parts of suffering, and that is Christ's death upon the cross. So tell us a little bit about yeah, how that and plays you know, into this. Exactly. And, and you know, we've just taken a look at Joseph and, and uh, from a worldly perspective, unfair treatment, terrible treatment. And uh, many of us would say, God, why do you hate me so much? But during that, you know, love won out and God was with him. And it, in the end, he could look back and say, I understand. And, and you know, uh, Christ's death on the cross is the ultimate example of suffering of, for our benefit, for our eternity of, of living with Christ with no death or no mourning or no suffering. I mean, this is the ultimate example of suffering with purpose, reminding ourselves that at any moment, Christ could have jumped off that cross, disappeared from that cross, whatever. He could have just said no more because of the pain and suffering of our sin, but he didn't. And, you know, it's so interesting uh, that the disciples during that time left him, but for one, and uh, they were distraught when, when Christ died. And, and at the death of their teacher, their rabbi, their friend, and they could not understand how this gruesome and cruel mode of execution could possibly lead to good. You know, Jesus had told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And now, from their perspective, he's dead, hanging on a cross. And the disciples did not know, did not understand that Jesus' life was not, was not over, not by a long shot. But the penalty for sin was forever put to death. And on the third day, Christ arose. And this, this story alone is so mysterious, how God could love so, such an, uh, a disobedient uh, uh, people, including ourselves. How and why did he do it? I have no idea. That's something we can't begin to understand. It's beyond human understanding. But that he died so we could live. And, and I think the mystery of goodness of God from our position, from our position is impossible to understand. And, but we can because of the work in the Holy Spirit in us. And it's through God in us, through the Holy Spirit, when we follow him, then it is possible to be good to do good in the eyes of the Lord. And I think Micah 6.8 just nails it here. He, uh, he has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? This is his definition of good, again. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
And I, I'm just thinking with a thought, Kelly and Steve, might God's most significant work to bring about the greatest good in and through us is during those times of our deepest suffering. Well, I think that learning to suffer well is an important yes. thing. You know, we don't spend a lot of time on the theology of suffering. How do we suffer well? We see the example in Christ's work and his yeah. life and ministry. And, you know, the good that has come from that is that you and I will be in the presence of our Creator yeah. for all of eternity. What yeah. a gift that is. It's yes, astonishing it, to think about. Yeah, it is. And it's the ultimate good. It is what keeps us going. It really is what keeps us going. Yeah. And in ministry, to keep us going so that people, people will understand there's a better life coming. Hang in there. Mm -hmm. You know, don't give up. This is all for purpose and we don't have to understand it, but keep going and being kind and loving others and asking God just to direct each day mm. because there is a better day coming and, and how we can see it. You know, if anybody should have given up, it would be Joseph. I, you know, can you imagine what he went through for years and years and years and was able to say, don't worry brothers for throwing me in that lousy pit, being cruel to me. <laughs> you know, it was God's plan. I, a better man than me, I'll tell you but. But I just, I think that's a beautiful story of how, how we need to suffer well, though, Steve, is just to realize that God is with us. And for some reason, somehow, he'll make good out of this and, and just watch him work. And it isn't easy. And sometimes it lasts for a long time. And so it should be an encouragement to us all. We don't always understand it. We know his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than, our, higher than ours. Yeah. He sees the end of a thing from its beginning, and we just have to trust. Yeah. It's not always easy. It's not easy being flesh and blood here and walking through the muck of this world. It's not. And we don't always see, you know, the, the good that can come. And I was, no. I was having a day yesterday, and it was hard to see some of those things. But I do know yeah. that he is good. And if I can just calm my sassiness down when I'm having one of those days you know I, I right. that, that's the thing you've, you've got to to just bring that that you know that desire to just really you know and I don't want to say desire to be frustrated in the flesh but you, you've got to calm that down in yourself and, and that's you you can do it that's the thing you'll you'll have your moments but you can do it you can overcome in Christ we are more than overcomers in him yeah, when we trust in him and not mm -hmm. ourselves. That's the right. thing. Yeah. Oh, and when we get in those moods, those cranky moods, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just <laughs> hard to bring ourselves. Just uh -huh. say, stop it. Just, God, I know you're not happy with my attitude. Just take over this, you know, this incredible, awful moment. And he's so faithful to do mm -hmm. that, you know, in his own way. But yeah. I, I just, yeah, if we could just do that. But. For ourselves, we're a mess without Christ. So Such a mess, uh. yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit, totally. I need a scripture, and he is faithful. Yeah. But this is this yeah, has been good, Nancy. Sure. This has been so good. Hey, to those of you um, listening this morning, really, again, want to point you in the direction of Anchors Away, Biblical Worldview Ministry. Nancy Fitzgerald, get your, your young people involved in this. And um, 
so they can learn how to uh, not only defend their faith as they age out of their youth groups in school, but also so you can learn more about biblical worldview ministry as you're training up your own kids in the home, because that's where it begins. Don't leave this to your youth pastors. Okay, they only get them once, maybe twice a week. This is for us as moms and dads in the home to raise them in the way that they should go, because their faith is going to be challenged in this world. They're going to have moments just like you and I have moments, and they need to be equipped and learn how to overcome through God's word, through uh, the blood of Christ. So let's get them equipped. Go to anchorsaway.org. You can also click on the resources tab at kellyandsteve.org. Nancy, thank you for this, and we'll get connected again next week. Love you. Absolutely love you both, and and thanks for what you're doing again. It's such an encouragement to me and to, to many. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life.